Hi, this is Thea, and you are listening to the Optimal Podcast. Haz and I recorded this interview months ago, but we decided it would be a good time to release this, as this crisis can really take a toll on one's mental health. In this episode, we hear from Vanessa Hamilton. She shares her story on coping with bipolar disorder. Just a side note, we apologize for the background noise, as this interview was recorded in a cafe. So in order to reduce the amount of noise and feedback, we chose to use most of her audio and omit most of ours. I actually reached out because I see very little um, exposure when it comes to mental health and the whole spectrum of it. Not just bipolar disorder, not just manic depression, but also anxiety and OCD and all these different things that fall under mental health. I just want to share my story and hopefully some people can relate to it and maybe they can apply my routine or my regimen and hopefully it works for them. I was actually diagnosed when I was 12 years old with bipolar 2 disorder and that is rapid cycling because um, bipolar 1 is more of you have long bouts of depression that last for months or maybe years as opposed to bipolar 2 rapid cycling where you actually go through the ups and downs, if not on a daily basis, weekly or monthly. So I've experienced a little bit of both. I've had like long bouts of depression that lasted for months and same with mania. But I think that because I am more self-aware now, I can minimize the amount of episodes that I have or at least use those episodes to my advantage. There's this thing where I'm not sure if, if it's an environmental thing or if it's a genetic thing because my father had it and one of my older brother has it as well. I am not sure if my father went through environmental factors that made him turn out the way that he is right now. Maybe it is environmental. All I can remember is that I would give this metaphor where I feel like I am walking through life with no skin on because I'm just very sensitive to everything that happens. Like for someone, if there's a stimulus and it, it's on a scale of one to 10, and to them it's just like a one, I would say that I usually feel it at a 10 all the time. The first time I remember trying to commit suicide, I was nine years old. And it's funny, not so much funny, but now looking back on it, you know, like I can humor myself about it, but um, I tried to overdose on... Tempra Forte, the paracetamol, and I was like, okay, this is the end. From that time on, I remember just trying multiple times to finish it, to end it. And as a child, you know, like, you know, what has happened that can trigger that kind of response out of a child? So my parents um, had me diagnosed at a young age. When, when I became a bit more mature, I started reading about it and... I was surprised that they could diagnose me so early, you know, but I guess based on the symptoms that I exhibited, it correlated to that diagnosis, and I've been living with it since since I was 12 years old. Can you explain what depressive spell would um, be like? Yeah, because I feel like a lot of people, they might have bipolar disorder or they might have uh, depression, but they have no idea that they have it. But how does it manifest itself with you personally? I like to to explain things in metaphors because I feel like it's more easily understood as opposed to like a visceral definition of it. 
So, in a metaphor, I like to say that without the mania or the depression, it's like a boat on a very still sea. You know, like it's very calm and serene. Mania is sort of like seeing this tidal wave coming at you. And this tidal wave is actually like a tidal wave of ideas and energy and all these things. And you can see it slowly coming at you. And then it gets under the boat and it lifts you up along with the wave. And you're way, 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 way up there. And at the top of the wave, you're like, you can do anything. It's like nothing can get you off of that wave, you know. And then essentially, depression is the opposite of that. It's when the wave comes down and it actually crushes your boat and you're off of this boat and you're just sinking deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and you're sort of like this person who doesn't know how to swim and you're just clawing underwater trying to get like a gasp of air but everything is so heavy around you i am aware of of like my symptoms because the thoughts in my head start to change you know like when i feel my best I have so much love, you know, like I could hug anyone out on the street. It, it feels good. But when I start to have dark thoughts, like everyone is, is like evil or has some sort of ulterior motive or agenda, I start to catch myself and realize, okay, you might be going down to, to the depths of the darkness. So those are very tangible symptoms. Because you can hear yourself think, right? It, it starts to become like the opposite of what you're used to. Like we were talking about earlier, I think that it all comes down to, to self-awareness and to, to knowing how to utilize both extremes. Because if you don't know what you're going through, if you don't know what it is, if you don't have a name for it, I think that's why humans are so obsessed with labels, right? Is because it makes it easier to deal with it. You know, like in a way that corresponds to your values, right? So when you don't have a label for this thing that you're going through, it makes it so much harder, right? And I am just, I have to say that I am very blessed to have caught this at a very young age to the point where I was able to mature with it, knowing what I had and trying to tackle it the best way that I knew how. And it was a trial and error process. It was, it was, Imagine for someone like me who knows what I have, and it was hell back then, you know? What more for people who don't know, who don't have a name for it, you know, and are just experiencing it on like a daily basis or a monthly basis or something like that. So, yeah, it definitely helps. Awareness is, is like 60% of the battle. I think it takes practice to, to like catch yourself. Definitely, because when when you start to sort of like... Think about it as like the weather, right? When cumulus clouds or the nimbus clouds start gathering, I mean, it's easy to know that it's going to rain. But when it's inside your mind, when it's in your own thoughts, you know, like you could be saying like mean things about or thinking mean things about other people. And it sometimes it's too late, you know, sometimes you're already there and you haven't caught yourself. So, yeah, definitely, you are right. It, it does take practice. Okay, so Vanessa, can you take us through also the process? Like, I'm sure um, before when you were much younger, you tried going through, I guess, traditional methods of psychiatry. How what was your experience with that? I don't want to 
to say this like it's it's um like it's all encompassing because there have been stories a successful stories of people who have been on medication and to that i say congratulations you know definitely different strokes for different folks maybe those people who had bipolar disorder who who experienced psychiatry and the medication aspect of it weren't really in the creative realm or didn't really have creative um, personalities so it was a lot easier for them to to accept like this flat line if i'm making sense like there was no mania there is no depression so it's just basically like a flat line but for someone who is creative i have experienced taking the medication and essentially it was like being robbed of who you are or who you know yourself to be because suddenly all the all the ideas all the creativity all these things seemed to to fall away with with the moods as well when i was manic i'd have like this abundance of energy where i felt like i could do anything i could i could achieve anything i would come up with an idea and i'd actually like manifest it and that was amazing that was the amazing part of mania and then with depression of course like we were talking about earlier how what goes up must come down so depression is essentially the opposite of that it's like your body it's a symptom of your body telling you that you've exhausted all this energy that you've had and now it's time to rest it's time to go back in yourself and take that time to to gain energy again you know reestablish your your stance like the the equilibrium to me it's just become a part of who i am it's not something that happens to me anymore it is just who i am going back to your your original question um how was my experience with with um psychiatry and therapy and meds i guess for for a time it was it did help because i was very self destructive at the time i was 18 years 18 years old i was Uh, my parents had me confined in Makati Med. It helped to know that the people who were dealing with me knew what I was dealing with, you know, as opposed to parang other people just sort of parang minimizing what it is that you're going through. So that aspect of it definitely helped, but for me personally, I just had to decline, decline that kind of help. because personally for for me the way that i am it was not conducive to creativity because it just disappears and i think that multiple people have attested to the fact that it does you know like it it just goes away and i couldn't live with that i just couldn't you know like i i see myself as a creative person and not creating would be synonymous with not being myself at all but at least you found a way to well yeah it's prioritizing what worked for you so when did you decide to stop actually like stop medication and just learn how to cope with um the mania and the depression like on your own or with your own way um it's funny because there is actually a very concrete reason why i quit my medication and that was because my my psychiatrist put me on zoloft and Seroquel and diazepam. And a few days after I started taking these meds, 
I completely shaved off all of my hair. All of it. And I loved my hair. It was long and flowy. And it was just, it was, you know, like how they say your hair is your crowning glory. And essentially, I just, I felt nothing. I think I was so desperate to feel something that I went to extremes to find it again. And I went to my psychiatrist and I told him about it. And all he said was, yeah, that happens. And I'm like, oh my gosh, so you guys are essentially experimenting on me. You know, they tell you that we're not sure how this is going to work. Take this pill, see how you feel in a few days, come back, tell us about it. And then if it's if things get better, then we stay on this level. If it doesn't, we increase. If not, we decrease or whatever. But there is no, like, exact amount that, like, works for everyone. It's not like, it's not like cold medicine, you know, or like you take one every so often, every few hours, and it's supposed to be generally the same for everyone. But to me, it had such adverse effects that I told my parents, I I can't. And also, to be honest, medication isn't cheap. It seems almost unethical to be charging this much for medication for people who are already going through like a myriad of problems and for them to have to like worry about you know, for people who believe that this is the only the only source of yes, the only solution, it becomes very, I think, terrifying to think that if you miss um, a dosage of your medication, that you could relapse, that you could go back to to what you're trying to avoid. And I think that just based on my experience personally, like I said, I am not giving a free-for-all like advice that this is going to work for everyone. No, definitely not. I believe that individuals intrinsically have their own needs. You know, Not everyone is the same. But somehow we all meet in a gray area where it kind of works for most people or some people. And just personally for me, medication was not the answer. I try to to be attuned to, not in a psychotic way, but like we all have this internal voice, right? Which is our conscience. And I try to be guided by that. And it was just telling me that that wasn't the right, the right way for me. So I started exploring like alternative options. Based on my experience, I would have to say that the thing that has worked for me and that is still working for me is watching what I eat. It was a trial and error process. I had to experiment on myself. I had to eat certain things and then really just get inside myself and ask myself, so how do you feel after you've eaten this or after you've drank this? And up to this day, actually, I've, I've been off soda for about like four or five years now. And I don't even miss it or crave it because I know the effects on me once I start drinking. Because essentially, it's just sugar water, right? Sugar water and flavor and all these things. So that has been um, that has been one of the factors which make it very easy to, to quit junk food because I have prioritized being mentally healthy over being palately hedonistic in which I mean like prioritizing like your sense of taste, right? Yeah, right. Because because like it's like Stoics have this term indifference. 
you know, like it's nice to have, but it's not essential. And I view these things, junk food and sodas, processed foods, as indifferent. You know, they're nice to taste. Yeah, it's fun to eat. Yeah. But is it absolutely essential? No. I think it takes a while to... Yes, of course, of course. Because like I said, it, it it didn't happen overnight. I didn't kick the habit right off the bat, you know. I'm human. Like I relapse like several times, you know. Like I love crispy things. So so anything that crackles in my mouth, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love it. But there are healthy alternatives, you know. Like again, it's, it's know thyself. I know that I like these textures and food, so... I try to find a healthy alternative for it. So instead of eating chips, I eat nuts. Instead of um, instead of drinking soda, I make myself fresh squeezed juice or lemonade or things like that, just to have like different taste. Everything in moderation, nothing in excess. You can like definitely have a cheat day. You know, like if you take care of yourself six days a week. One pint of, I mean, not pint, no <laughs> but like one scoop of ice cream isn't going to like null all of your hard work, you know? It's not gonna completely like mean nothing. And this is gonna kind of sound TMI, but I think that it is very, it is an essential part of it. You can't talk about food without talking about elimination, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> but no, on a serious note, you will notice that when you change the, the things that you eat, those things change as well. And I noticed that when I was very young, eating highly processed foods and all these things, junk food, I was usually very constipated. As in, like, I would go a week. You know, like, it was that bad, right? And to me, like, that's unthinkable now because I like, go every day, right? But in the past, it was like a week at a time. And... I said, geez, I don't know how I survived like this long with like that kind of an... But yeah, it, it definitely changes because that's another factor, right? Because that's essentially toxic waste yeah, and yeah, you're carrying it around in your body. And the more that you eat things that are high in fiber, high nutrient dense, then things start moving a lot quicker, a lot smoother. And so you eliminate toxins a lot more efficiently. So that is another thing that you have to also be aware of. I learned that certain foods might be presented different, differently, but essentially they're still simple sugars. When your body digests it, it essentially just recognizes it as sugar. And that is um, bread, pastas, rice, and um, well, like sweet potatoes are complex starches, but still these simple sugars... Um, when they get digested by my body, um, my brain uses it for energy. So the more of those things that I have, I think that my propensity towards mania is a lot higher. I would have to say that I focus on foods that are very nutrient-dense and very low on sugar. And these are essentially whole foods like um, fruits and vegetables. It sounds so simple, but really, because it is. It's not rocket science or anything. It is very simple. You just go for the foods that you know will support better immune function, better brain health, and things that contribute to um, red blood cells. So, for example, like 
foods that are high in iron, leafy greens, all these things. Sometimes, like, I buy pet chai from the market and I just put it on top of steamed rice and I just have, like, a whole plate of that. And it might sound kind of weird, but to honor the food that you're eating while you're eating it, to know that, like, this thing that I'm about to put in my body, it's going to help make me stronger. And I think it, it helps make eating more than just eating. You know, it's actually a way of you know, keeping yourself healthy, keeping yourself functioning, you know. So, um, yeah, I think that goes a long way too. Because for me, I have two daughters. So, um, it's like this daily struggle that I have to go through. Like thinking of different things to feed them. And like some days they'll like this thing and then some days they won't. So, for me personally, I, I simplified it the best that I can. So, essentially, like, I have the same thing every single day, usually, unless, like, I go out or something like that. But usually, I have tomatoes every day. I have half an onion. Yeah, like, a salted egg. Uh, I love Spanish-style sardines. And those are very high in omega-3. So that, again, the DHA in that, it supports brain function. So when I do not have these things, when I do not have protein, I actually simply like sprinkle extra virgin olive oil on white rice or whatever colored rice sometimes i have black rice brown rice whatever but whatever is there you know um just you know because carb is easy energy so for the easy energy i have a cup of rice and then if i don't have the protein ulam i just put olive oil and that has worked for me it's and ano pala i try to um, buy as many herbs as i can like oregano basil rosemary thyme parsley and then like i'm a i'm a maniac when it comes to like i'm just like and my 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 partner is like how can you still eat that and i'm like because i know essentially what it's doing for me so i'm not just eating for taste i'm eating for for my well-being, my mental well-being. So when you look at it from that perspective, it makes it actually so much more pleasurable to know that, yeah, probably doesn't taste like five-star Michelin, but, you know, it's it's still to know, like, what it's going to do for your body. I think that's enough for me. Probiotics actually are another major contribution they say to mental health because that's why they say like the gut is actually the second brain because again like the things that you put in your body are processed there in that area yeah and i've done research on prebiotic foods because probiotics are the the good bacteria so prebiotics are the foods that the probiotics feed on so um i like to eat a lot of foods that are high in fiber because the indigestible fiber are actually processed by the probiotics not by by the person so um yeah uh i like to eat a lot of leafy greens and um like i said onions are prebiotics so anything that i know will feed the good bacteria essentially i'm feeding them not myself (laughs) so that's one of the factors in terms of um diet Okay, so besides diet, what are other methods of um, coping? It goes back to being created. My father was a writer, so um, writing just comes natural to me. And I think that if you are more of 
a loner type of person, an introverted person who doesn't really like prefer reaching out to other people, I think that journaling is one of the things that definitely helps because, you know, when you have an emotion inside you, it feels like it can just like lurk there for an indefinite amount of time. But I have found time and time again that when I write these feelings down, once they are out of my body and on the paper, it seems to just lose its power. So yeah, that's that's one of one of my coping mechanisms, but also um, finding people who genuinely care for you and who understand you because compassion is um, a very scarce commodity for people who are dealing with mental health issues or mental illness. Yeah, definitely. Other people who can understand you and love you despite knowing what you're what you're afflicted with. I think that definitely helps a lot. So in terms of your support group, I guess, can you share some of your experiences with that? Like finding a support group? Personally, my only support group is my immediate family. But I have attended um, events, musical, musical events, where it was um, focused on mental awareness mental health awareness and um, I went to this one event where the woman who organized the the event was the creator of this website who lists all the um, mental health services that are available in the Philippines so anywhere you are in the Philippines some of them are paid some of them are free but I thought that that was an absolutely brilliant idea mental health a dash awareness so it's where dash ness so you know i mean i consider myself lucky because i can open up to my family but a lot of people don't have that you know some people are still scared of being seen in a different light once they open up about it so if you can find somewhere or even on that website on that list like if people can find someone to talk to then that would be a lot of help because I find that when I'm having a bad day and I and my mom knows knows this about me, of course, and when I talk to her about it, she just tells me she understands. It's okay. She still loves me and it makes it a lot easier to cope with it, knowing that you are accepted unconditionally. And for people who aren't don't have this diagnosis but are living with someone or who are associated with someone who is going through it, I think that the best thing that you can do is not try to solve the problems for them. You know, most of the time we talk to people and they think that we're sharing things because we're asking for advice when really we just want them to listen. And unless someone directly says, hey, could you help me out with this problem? I think that the only thing that you can do is listen without judgment. And with empathy, just as much as you can, you know, just let them know that you're there and that it doesn't matter if they're having a bad day, you still accept them, you know that this isn't the entirety of who they are, it's just an aspect of them. So that definitely, I think, would help people to cope with it for people who have it and who are trying to help someone. This concludes part one of our interview with Vanessa Hamilton. Part two will be released next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Optimal Podcast for more updates. Thank you for listening.